Let's pray and we're going to get into today's sermon. So Father, in Jesus' name, be with us today, Father. We know you're here, but may we submit to the new thing that you're creating within us, new, the new thing you're creating within this culture. Any weight that's in here, Father, I pray that you would take it away. Give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run towards obedience, Father. Help us hear your word today. Father, we pray for a thriving church community. We, we, we pray for thriving communities that are surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It was really weird, you know, um, I've been having some dreams lately, and in these dreams, um, God's been speaking to me, and I've been seeing them come true randomly, and that, that happened 10 years ago, a lot, and then 10 years ago when that started to happen, God was really doing some things within the church here and within the community, so I'm beginning to get excited, but yesterday, I knew that Rob and Nicole were um, going to um, go down south, and they wouldn't be here today, and we're on the way to a wedding, and on the way there, I felt like um, I needed to pray for them for um, an accident or bike problems, and I'm like, oh, that's just stupid. You're just thinking about them because they're going down south, and that, we were on our way up there at 2 o'clock, and the prayer came about 2.20, and then during like an intermission of the wedding, I checked Facebook, and at 2.40, Rob and Nicole were on the side of the road with bike problems. And it's like, wow, God, like you were speaking to me, but he didn't come in the storm, right? He didn't come in the sun. He came in the still, small voice. So I wanna encourage you guys that if, if something's not against the Bible and you begin to get these um, nudges, just take a step with them. And I felt like I was supposed to text them and tell them I'm praying for them, and I didn't because I just felt like I was making it up. So God's speaking in the still, small voices. And today, um, we begin at James chapter two. And James is chal challenged just in three main points thus far. The three main points that James has challenged us in James chapter one is this. How do we respond to trials? How do we respond to temptation? How do we respond to the word of God? Those have been the three areas that James has really been speaking to us, right? Challenged me. Hopefully challenged you. Hopefully you're, you're growing in um, sometimes what seems to be James' offensive words towards me. Any of you guys ever feel like James is offensive? Or wait, how about this? How many of you think that I'm being offensive to you out of James' word? You're like, why is he always doubt? Like, why is he always telling me to do something more? Why is Joey always yelling at me? Why is he always telling me I have to do, 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 do? Well, here's the thing. We're taking James and we're looking at the book of James right now, so we're gonna try to preach out of the context of James. Look, it's all about grace. It's all about God's grace. Every single bit of it. You can't earn your way, you can't work your way, you can't do enough to get to heaven because just the blood in your body, your ancestor's sin, just because of Adam and Eve's sin, you fall short. Nothing you can do. So when we go through the book of James, this isn't about you doing good enough because you can't. It's not about a list of chores. But what James is saying is, look, if you love someone, represent them. If you love someone, try to do some things for them. And, and what I've been thinking a lot about through Corona is um, there's people going to hell. We, we've forgotten about that over the past several years. Like, I, I think the church has. The, the church's focus has went from 
like, we never want to focus on hell. We, we're not a hell and, brimsto- uh, hell and brimstone church. But we have to remember that, that that's the destination that some people are going. And, and one of the messages we shared several weeks ago was, why does the church in general, why do we get people saved and then keep them there? Why do we do that? There's, there's so much more. So I've been thinking a lot lately that, that there's friends who are going to hell. There's, there's people within our community who are going to hell. And it's not because these people are any different than you and I, because we're all sinners. We're, they might behave better than you and I. I hope not, but they might. The only thing that makes us different is that we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sin. That when we see him face to face one day and he says, why do you deserve to enter? Your first response is this, I don't. But only through the blood of Jesus. That's it. So I share that to say this. I'm not, please don't take out of context that grace is not a thing or that you're supposed to work your way to heaven. But you better believe that I'm gonna sharpen. Sharpening isn't easy, is it? Iron sharpens iron. That's not something that feels good. But let's sharpen one another as we continue through the book of James and it challenges us and it grinds our gears and we get frustrated. And if something's anti-biblical, then let's talk about it. But if we find it in the Bible, don't point it at people Just say, you know what, God, I got some areas I need to improve upon. And what I realized through the book of James is I got a lot to improve upon. And I want to love God with everything that I have. He he is deserving of all, so why would I not? So I've been trying to figure out ways, um, ways to talk to people and open up doors again. Um looking for entryways, dreaming about how, how God can do some big things once again. And I think we all can do that. So today, James is gonna encourage us, or God, through James, is going to encourage us in the fourth, in the fourth area that we should not show favoritism. And it has been said that that um, the most segregated time of the week is the Sunday service. So look at the people around you once again. The most segregated service is Sunday morning. How many orphans and widows do we have in here? How many ethnicities do we have in, have in here? How many um, economical classes do we have in here? Generally speaking, we're all middle class white people, right? Why is that? Is it just our demographic? I don't know, but I do know Springfield has 65,000 people and not all 65,000 people are in churches. I do know that Mechanicsburg has 1,500 people and not all 1,500 people are in a church. I do know that Urbana has nine to 11,000, whatever it is, and not all nine to 11,000 are in churches. I do know that West Liberty has probably 2,000 people, and I think like five of them are in churches. And all five of them are here today. (laughs) So, um, go Indians. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Therefore, pray for the workers. We're all the same in here, basically. I wonder why that is. See, in the first century AD, people were either rich or poor, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian. Yet because of Jesus and the gospel spreading, it seemed as if social barriers were kind of breaking up, that they were losing their strength. And Paul talked about this in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, 
for you all are one in Christ. So he's talking about the differences, and now he's saying, look, no, but, but you all are one in Christ. See, Colossians 3 says this, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, um, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So what he was trying to share with us is this, is you may see differences, and, and, and look how timely this message is going to be within our culture, within our climate, uh, climate, right? This message is really timely, and it wasn't even planned, it just happened. So thank you, God, for, for getting this message when we need it. See, there was racial tension, there was soci- socioeconomic tension, classes that were at war. What are we doing right now as a nation? We're at war. There, there is literally a war going on within our nation. And you know what most of us want to do as believers? We want to put in our headphones and we want to forget about it. What we want to do is, is just get off where we don't have to worry about it. And that's not what Christ is calling us to do as believers. See, as believers, we're supposed to know that, that we, I've heard it said, we are not thermostats. So we don't, um, no, yeah, no. We are not thermometers. I'm like, yes. We are not thermometers. We just don't discern the temperature in the room. We are thermostats. We change the temperature in the room. But what the church is doing right now is the church just wants to be normal like I was talking about earlier. All we want to do is be back over here and be able to forget about everything because really all we care about is ourself. Now look, I can say that about myself or I can say that about us because I think you're similar to me and sometimes all I want to do is forget about everything and not carry the weight. So what I do is I put in um, a book, listen to a book, and I go out and complain about my koi pond. <laughs> and I spend hours fixing it, and then I get back inside, and then the pump fills up again. But you know what? Those two hours, those two hours of getting away from it was what I, what I thought I needed. See, what the church needs right now, what we need right now, is to not be getting away from it, not be getting away from the war that is going on in our nation, but to actually engage in it. And the engagement that Christ is calling us to is prayer, scripture, and fellowship. I don't want to just hear your opinion. I don't want to just see your opinion. See, there was someone the other day that told me about their opinion, and they started to get feisty about their opinion, opinion and this and that, and I said, so what are you going to do about it? Have you ever considered adoption? Have you ever considered discipleship? Have you ever considered mentorship? I don't want to hear your opinion if you're not willing to invest in it and what the church and what James is calling us to do is to be people that don't just talk about it, that don't just look at it, but are people of action. We need to be people of action and here's here's why people get offended at me when I speak the truth of the word is because they're saying, Joey, you're making me uncomfortable because you're telling me that I can't spend eight hours a day at my house. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you that as we get through the book of James, what we end up seeing is James is calling us to be people that are doers of the word, just not hearers of the word, right? So, so it goes back to this is, yeah, Jesus is your savior, right? We've, we've heard this several times. Jesus is, is my savior, so he died on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later. But is Jesus really your Lord? Because if Jesus is your Lord, when you wake up each day, if you wake up each day, if you are blessed with another breath, then he's the one who leads you. He's the one who sets your steps. What we end up doing is we say, God, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to drag you along with me. 
I wonder how different this church specifically, this culture will look specifically, if we simply ask God, if, if, if we wake up tomorrow, we say, God, what do you have for me today? How much different would our world look if we let God set our steps rather than us dragging him along in ours? So what the church needs to be doing now in this war is to not run from it, not to try to get away from it, but to engage it. And you know what? When it comes to racism and different ethnicities in the Bible, people needed special revelation for the understanding. If you guys remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter had a vision, right? We talked about this, but we're gonna go over it one more time. Just, um, he had to have um, special revelation to accept that God accepts everyone. Here it is, verse 11. He saw heaven opened, and, and this is his vision that he had. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. So that was Peter's vision. Now we skip down to verse 34. Peter's speaking, he's um, evangelizing, and here's what he says. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God treats everyone the same, he said. He accepts people from every nation. He accepts, every, in, sorry, he accepts anyone who has respect for him and does what is right. So who does God accept? Everyone who puts their faith in him as Lord and Savior. No color barrier no financial barrier, but are you serving me? We have to ask ourselves that question. Is, am I serving God as Lord, or am I just using him as my savior? I'm asking myself that question right now. So as it comes up, don't think that I'm pointing the finger at you. It's coming out of my heart. I'm asking that question. And in, the cha- in this chapter of James, what he's getting ready to call out is favoritism is still a thing within the church. And this was something that James knew, and he wanted to call it out once again. Now look, how important is it that this message is today? Favoritism. Favoritism, favoritism. No partiality, no racism, just Jesus. Remember, James tells tells us at the end of chapter one that true religion looks after the orphans and the widows. Now James is going to further that here in chapter two and let us know that there's no room for favoritism. So James chapter two, verse one. Here we go. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So let's just say this real quick. Favoritism is not biblical. Racism is not biblical. Christianity is, Favoritism, racism, or partiality do not go together. They are not compatible. Do you guys agree with that today? I hope you do. Scripture reveals, this scripture is going to reveal to us that there are areas in our life that cause us to form opinions or favoritism. 
So the first thing that scripture reveals about how we form favoritism, and you should write this down, number one is this, is the things we have heard about people. You know, that, that's probably why just a few um, sentences or paragraphs ago, James says, keep a tight rein on your tongue, bridle your tongue, because the things that we hear about them certainly change the way that you interact with them. Anyone ever been, been a part of that? You heard something about someone, so you kind of ran from them? Oh, come on now, church. We are a participating church. I have heard so many things about people that I see them at Kroger or Walmart, and I'm like, I'm out. I am not shaking that hand after what someone else told me about you. I'm not even gonna fist bump you. I'm out. I'm just leaving. Acts chapter nine, verse 13. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard, right? I have heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. So they were talking about Paul or Saul. And he had heard all of the things that were said about him, about him killing Christians, about how vicious he was. So due to something that he had heard about Paul's past life, he had seemed to have um, put up a wall rather than having open arms. The uniqueness about this is not everything we hear about people is even close to true. And that's why we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. See, maybe the things that they actually heard about Paul, they were true, but just because they were true didn't mean that transformation didn't take place, right? The things that we hear about people can shape the way that we show favoritism to them or not. Number two is the things that we see in people. So um, Samuel comes to the house of Jesse looking to anoint the next king. But Jesse seems to only be able to see the outward appearance, right? How many of you guys are familiar with that story? I hope you are if you read through the Bible reading plan. Um, what he did is he missed the heart of the king. So 1 Samuel 16 verse seven says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, Jesse was looking at the outward appearance rather than the inside character. Thus he missed David, because his outward appearance was only okay. His outward appearance was only, meh. He was like a five out of 10. We are called to see people's character, not their appearance. So we've been victims to what we've heard about people, right? We've also been victims to what people look like right? We've also been victims, point three, the things we know about them. In Luke chapter seven, we have a story of a prostitute with an alabaster jar, right? Here we go, verse 38. As she stood behind him, this is Jesus, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This, this is where we're at right now. Now, verse 39, important. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. What we know about people changes the way that we 
show favoritism, we prefer them or not. So what the Pharisee is trying to say is he's saying, look, this girl's a prostitute. Why would you let her touch you? Why would you let her do this to you? She is a prostitute. Now, how many of you guys, after knowing something about someone, try to keep your distance? Man, I'm starting to think gold dust and just like this holy stuff's gonna, we're, we're so perfect in here. What we know allows us to show prejudice, favoritism, or build up walls. And what scripture is telling us to not allow what we know, what we heard, and what we see to keep us from giving fair treatment to everyone. Amen? See, not in my notes, it's really hard for us during this climax to make an opinion about what we see on the news because we all have our justification that's going on right now of our opinion. It's our opinion because we believe it and that's why it's our opinion. But we hear things, we see things, and then we know things. And based upon the things that we see, hear, and know, we justify our judgment, our favoritism. And what's being said here is this, is don't do it. Don't show favoritism. Now in verse, verse two, James shows us how we show favoritism. And we w- must remember how we treat people shows fav- favoritism. So here we go. Verse two, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. We show favoritism by how we treat people who are like us or have something to offer us. You realize that? We like to show favoritism to people who are very similar to us who can offer us something. There's been many experiments done at churches where the pastor would stand greeting people as they walked in. He would stand somewhere and then they'd take like a punk kid and they'd put him in a black toboggan and earrings and a black shirt and black pants and he'd stand five feet away. Many experiments and guess what the church people did? The church people. Who, wait, hopefully, who needs Christ more? The way that we stereotype this kid or the way that we stereotype this pastor? Who needs Christ more? This kid probably, right? Like the pastor is supposedly living it and doing it and breathing it and teaching it. And the church people, who should they be ministering to? The pastor? or the kid. So this is what ended up happening. Like literally video documented, I watched it. It was like a 100 people came to the pastor and two, because they had to stop by, gave a quick shake and leave. Favoritism, we do it. Every week we do it when we come in here. Every week we do it when we leave here. When we're at work, when we're in school, wherever we are, we show favoritism. This will preach. This isn't talking about how you treat people that you love. This isn't talking about how you treat people that you already trust. It's talking about those who are hard to love those who are hard to sit with, those who are different than you. You're like, well, I don't know what to say to the kid. What would you say to your best friend? What's up? How are you? What'd you do this week? You're telling me you don't know how to talk now? That's how you do it. You open the conversation. Engage those who are different than you. Finally, nope, 
actually. How we talk to people shows favoritism. Verse three. If you show special attention to a man wearing fine clothes and say, here's, here's a good seat for you, but say, keyword say, to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. We can show favoritism, racism, preferential treatment, all by the way that we talk to people. Simply put, our words sometimes treat them as if they're not as important as others. But say to the poor man, you have to sit on the floor. But say to the rich man, come sit up front with the beautiful pastor's wife. You wait, she said this, she's like, that didn't work, Jojo. <laughs> that didn't work. Try better. I'll try better. <laughs> um, simply put, our words matter. Who does God love more, the rich man or the poor man? He loves us all. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if he's our Lord and our Savior, he values us both. Why is it that we ask one person to sit here, but we invite that person who can repay us out to dinner? What can you repay Christ? Nothing. It's all about him. So why do we always hang out with people who have to repay us? That's the challenge. Finally, how we think about people shows favoritism. Verse four, have you not discriminated among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Thoughts, evil thoughts. So maybe you treat and speak nicely about people, but your thoughts can be rooted in evil towards other. You can be really political, can't you? Hey, welcome to Mechanics for Christian Fellowship. We are so glad that you are here. And then you invite the guest to sit next to you and the whole time you're thinking, you really stink. You smell really bad. I wonder what your house looks like. See, I've shared this story before. Um, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. But I was at uh, Grace United Methodist Church in Piqua, and they were asking people, you guys remember the story yet? They were asking people how we get, how we get, uh, how we get more people to respond at the altar. So I'm in this leadership meeting and talking to them, and then one person was like, hey, you know what we should do is I'll sit at the back of the church, and when we give the altar call, I'll stand up, and just like Billy Graham used to do, that's what they said, just like Billy Graham would do. He'd have people come from the very back or he'd have people come from the very top and then they're gonna walk down the aisle because one person walking down opens up the floodgate for the rest. And then this person gave their idea and that person gave their idea and I'm sitting there and I'm like, but God, what's your heart? God, what's your heart? What's your heart in this situation? So we went on 45 minutes with how we get more people to respond at the altar. And then I finally said, just the podunk, young, flat bill, hat, skater shoe, youth pastor. What does he know about Jesus, right? I said, I got something, can I speak? Sure, go ahead, speak. I said, uh, so hypothetically, and I name dropped someone in the church, someone who's been there for 50 years. Let's just call him Michael. I said, hypothetically, Michael, we find out. Michael responds at the altar, and we're over here, and we're praying for, getting ready to pray for Michael. And when, when, when he responds up here, and he's been married for um, 60 years, he comes up here, he responds at the altar, and we have a group of people praying for him, and he has a confession that day. And this is what he says. He says, leadership, I have to get this off my chest for the past 40 years I've been addicted to pornography. 
<gasps> I said, how would you see Michael? Would you judge Michael? Would you see Michael in a direction that God sees him, that God wants to restore him, renew him, and set him free? Or would you judge him? And they said, we judge him. I said, that's why you're not seeing people respond at the altar. Why would God release someone from their seat or tell someone to go from their seat to the altar to only make things worse in their life? So until our leadership at this church begins to see people in a direction and value people in a direction and love people in a direction and restore people in a direction that God has for them, he's not gonna release people to the altar. Amen? The way that we see, that we think, that we value people matters. Now, is Michael's problem an issue? Yeah. Do we want to set him free? Is he missing out on life? Yeah. Do we want to see him overcome it? Yeah. So be the church and restore him. Don't make things worse and judge him. The way that we think about people matters. There was a girl at our youth group, at our uh, camp. She came up. Um, she came up um, one night during one of our emotional services and she was talking to Macy. And while she's talking to Macy, she's sharing all these deep, dark things that had happened to her when she was a child. And Macy's like, wow, this is heavy. And what she told Macy is she said, I want to, I want to confess those to everyone in here tonight. And Macy's like, we better go talk to Joey about that. So Macy says, Joey, come here. And she's like, here's what's going on in this situation. This person wants to share this. And I said, you know what? I think when you talked to Macy, that confession was good enough. No, I want to share. I want to share. I want to share. I said, no, I'm not going to let you. Well, why? Why won't you let me share? I want to share. I just feel like the Spirit's leading me to share. And I'm like, you're not going to share. Why? Because not every air in this room will see you and restore you in a direction that God would. Macy will, the rest of everyone else won't. And your problem will intensify and become worse because the church isn't living into the call that God's put on them. We need to be a place that people can confess, repent, and be set free and restored by the church. And we need to think about people in a direction that God sees them, amen? Are you guys alive today? Hardly. We're on life support. Macy's level one trauma nurse, so we got you. <laughs> what was the song when they teach CPR that you're supposed to hum in your brain? What is it? You guys are whispering it. Yeah. I can do that. I'd be good at that. I'm trying to wake you up and it's just not even working. <laughs> and now my, now my foot's cramping. My toe is literally cramping right now. God bless us. So, hypothetically, during our church service, I'm going to be walking with a limp now. Hypothetically, Franklin Graham walks into the church. Okay? Or for the younger generation... Um, oh, what's his name? Kanye West. And then Francis Chan walks into the building. So we have Franklin Graham, we have Kanye West, and we have Francis Chan in the building. How many, let's just be honest. How many of you guys are going to be interested in a conversation with one of the three? Are you serious? You guys are not interested in hearing anything from Franklin Graham, Francis Chan, or Kanye West. I am. And I have to fight this, this tendency to say, now wait a second, Rob and Nicole are here. Do I want to talk to Rob and Nicole or do I want to go be with the elite people? Who do I want to be with? I'm going to want to go 
the tendency, the flesh in me is gonna say, oh, Robin, Nicole, you are okay. You're fine. I'll see you next week. I'm gonna wanna go see one of those three. But what Holy Spirit lives in those three in comparison that's different than Robin Nicole's? The same Holy Spirit lives in Robin Nicole than Franklin, as, as lived in Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, Yeezy, whatever his name is, Kanye West, and Francis Chan. The same Holy Spirit lives in them, but a tendency within us wants to show favoritism to the rich and to the poor, or not the poor. Favoritism is, common, is a common way that we can fall into the worldliness James was talking about in chapter one. I mean, the world loves to honor the rich and famous, and they also find ways to neglect the poor. We often give preferred treatment to those who can give something back to the church, to our work, or in our neighborhood. People still give preferred treatment to those who have the uh, same skin color today. <laughs> I don't even feel like I have to say it, but, but you do, you, you still have to say it. God loves all people of every skin color. He created them, we're all created in his image, right? And, and as I've wrestled through this season, here, just pause where we're at in James, but also apply it. We're all a part of the body. We're all one body, right? Every skin color, every believer, we're all a part of one body. Rich, poor, whatever color, we're all a part of one body. One body. You, if you say we're not, it's anti-biblical. So if we have a piece of the body that is hurting right now, so when I had my shoulder surgery, I still have a chip on my shoulder. So um, when you're like, man, why is he yelling at me? I still got the chip. I didn't, get, I didn't get the chip, but I have a chip. So I have a chip on my shoulder. So when they took me in for surgery, guess what they did? They gave me medicine for my shoulder. The focus was on my shoulder. They didn't do anything to my feet. They didn't do anything to my belly. They didn't do anything to my elbow or my cramping toe. I need to start drinking pickle juice before I get up here because I'm getting dehydrated. What's Pastor Joey's pregame? My point is this. If, if a piece of our body is hurting, what's the problem with focusing on it? We're allowed to. We're allowed to focus on one piece. They didn't do anything to my foot when my shoulder was hurting. And when I broke my foot, they didn't do anything to my shoulder. We're all a part of one body. Love your body. Love the person in front of you. Don't show favoritism to anyone. Faith and favoritism do not go together. People show hospitality to friends and family, but forget about the poor. So if the church shows favoritism, then how do we... Or, yeah, so if the church shows favoritism, then what are we doing um, that the world does? Or we're, we're doing exactly what the world does, right? If we show favoritism as the church, then what makes us any different than the world? Nothing. That should be different. In the world's system, you honor, you respect, you treat people well based upon whether they can benefit you or not. And the church might be doing the same thing. This is a real quote from a mega church pastor within our region. Real quote. My church is a church of business, businessmen, not a house for the homeless. Can you believe that? Is that who we are? Is, is that what our actions show us to be? Are we a house for the homeless? Or are we a church of businessmen? Look, here's what I say. 
Anyone who wants to know Jesus, you're welcome here. Anyone who wants to be desperate for Jesus, you're welcome here. So, I ask you this question. How do we avoid treating those in low position different than those in high position? We invite them in and we invest into their life. So one of my favorite stories in the Bible and then we're done. Luke chapter 14. Then Jesus spoke to his host. Suppose you give a lunch or a dinner, he said. Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you to eat with them. So you will be paid back. But when you give a banquet, invite those who are poor. Also invite those who can't see or walk. Then you will be blessed. Your guest can't pay you back. But you will be paid back when those who are right with God will rise from the dead. So I ask the question, if you've read this story before, if you haven't read this story before, what I see in this story is this, is when you have a party, 10 out of 10 parties shouldn't just be with people that are your friends. And I would say this, we don't have parties, we hardly have get-togethers, but when we do, guess who they are? They're our friends. They're people that we trust. And I remember seven years ago when reading the scripture again, I read it and I talked to Macy. And I'm like, Macy, but this scripture says when, when you have people over, have people who can't repay you over. And, and then I asked her this question. I said, we can't just go pick up someone random and date them and bring them to our house, right? Because you still have to protect your house and then that's when God was like, that's the problem. You haven't invested in anyone's life enough to trust them in your house. It's not about just feeding people. It's not about just bringing people into your house and making them meal. It's about investing into their life and becoming friends with them and getting to know them in such a way that you value them and that no preferential treatment is there. So how many orphans, so I've been asking myself this question, as a church and as an individual, how many orphans, how many widows, how many homeless people am I investing my life into? It's not just about being Christians who love each other and get together and go bowling and then go bowling again and then maybe go to top golf and then garden. It's not just about that. It's about showing fair treatment across the board and investing into people's lives. Jesus is encouraging us not to show favoritism with those who can repay us. Rather, we should invite over the needy who cannot. I wonder how different our church would look, even in size. People who are attending here, if everyone this year had five meals with people who can't repay us right? I wonder what that would look like. This has me thinking a lot. What can we do as a church for the 100,000 people we have here within 20 miles? We have 100,000 people within 20 miles of here. What can we do? What can we do as individuals within the church? And as a community, how can we help um, invite those who can't repay us. And my conviction is ever growing over the past several months, not just through James, that it's our time to pick out a community and go find the orphans, go find the widows, go find those who are in need and invest into their lives. Amen? And that's going to take time so what that means, what that means is I can't get my ruler out anymore and take it across my grass and make sure it's the pristine 2.75 inches all the way across. What it means is I'm gonna have to give up, I'm gonna have to sacrifice a few things to invest into those who are needy. I'm serious, 
I would like to invest as a church into a community, not only our community, Mechanicsburg, not only your community, I think you should invest in the community that you live, but I think adopting a community probably in Springfield and saying we're gonna be here every other Saturday, we're gonna have hot dogs, we're gonna love you, we're gonna engage you, we're gonna help you get your license, we're gonna just pour into you and help you make decisions. And you know what, it's not about just serving them, it's actually about becoming friends with them. So I'll bring cornhole and I will talk trash and then I'll lose. I'm not very good at cornhole. But if Noah and I were to play, play cornhole, I would talk trash before we got there. Like, Noah, you're gonna get beat by a 30 year old. You young lads don't know anything. And then he'd beat me. And then he'd be really happy. So my conviction is ever growing, we need to invest somewhere. Let's not show favoritism. This isn't us versus them, it is us. So in light of what is happening in our world today, how are you treating others? How are you talking about others? What are you thinking about others? And how are you serving those who cannot serve back? Amen? Don't show favoritism. Let's pray. Father, um, help us with this message today. May we hear your words. Give us the boldness to reach out to someone who cannot repay us this week, Father. Not just those within the church. Some of those within the church can't repay us, Father. But put someone on our heart, put a family on our heart that we can reach out to. Help us find the orphans, the widows, the homeless, those who are hurting, Father. Help us understand their stories, to value them, to let, let them know their value, to love them, to make them a piece of society. Father, provide us the resources and the opportunities for that. In Jesus' name, amen.